Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of Vinyl and Vision. Here we are with episode 87. Today's very special guest is Daniel Kelly. Dan is the uh, singer and songwriter, guitarist for the band Moral Panic. Uh, Moral Panic is a New York-based punk band, rock band, punk band. It's hard to tell. What you're listening to is the uh, self-titled track uh, off of their latest album, Validation. At the end of the episode, I'll include a small portion of another song off that album called Big Fish. Now, I, I, I hesitate between saying rock and roll, rock band, punk band. Um, if you have never heard Moral Panic, they, they teeter. They teeter on a line kind of between maybe those two genres, if, uh, if you want to even consider them as separate genres. But um, it's interesting. It, I think it's interesting music for that reason, that uh, it's not a easily... Uh, categorized style of music, which is very cool. Um, I'm very much looking forward to, to seeing them perform live at some point. Uh, I don't have any dates as of right now, but uh, the album is out, Validation. It's uh, available in uh, multiple formats. I'll uh, l- provide you links to their uh, Bandcamp and so forth, wherever you can get those albums, and you can uh, buy, pick one up if you'd like. Uh, we encourage you to do so. Um, this is a great conversation about the uh, Adolescence, their self-titled debut album, uh, otherwise known as the Blue Album. Uh, pretty great uh, early originators of punk music, uh, the Adolescence that is. Uh, I have not, I was not familiar with them. Um, I have a, I have a very mild knowledge of punk bands and like you know the quote-unquote punk bands, the bands that kind of like helped creates the, the new world of, uh, of modern-day pop-punk, power-punk, power-pop-punk, whatever that you want to call it. And, um, and this is one of those albums. It's a great album, actually. I really did enjoy it, and uh, I really did enjoy speaking with Dan. And I hope you enjoy it, too. And if you do, all that we ask is that you please do all the things you do with the internet. Like, share, subscribe, comment, rate, and review. All of those things. It really helps out our show. We really do appreciate it. Uh, you can also visit our website, www.psychicstatic.net, uh, if you care to help us out in a financial way. Uh, by all means, uh, we have links to our uh, eBay store as well as the store that I have at that website that ha- has a bunch of records and stuff that I sell. Um, any purchase that you make would be much uh, much appreciated and very helpful to us. We thank you very much and enjoy. Yeah, so how, how's it going, man? Good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, you go by Dan. Uh, yeah, Dan or Daniel, you know. So, uh, so what's been going on, man? What do you, what you been up to? Uh, not, not a whole lot. Um, Moral Panic just played a couple shows. We played with Agent Orange last week, which was, which is better than I thought it would be. I, I never know with those kind of like older nostalgia bands. Sometimes it's not so good. Sometimes it's good. And this was, mm-hmm. uh, this was a good one. It was a fun show. Yeah, um, that's cool. Uh, Agent Orange is one of those original kind of OC punk bands. Uh, yeah, totally. Kind of, yeah, I, I, their name came up in some of the research I was doing to prepare for tonight. Uh, you know, to talk about uh, the Adolescence Blue album. Yeah, they're definitely in that uh, in that family tree of bands that came out of the Adolescence and, and Orange County and all that fun stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, they even shared some members. I mean, like from what I've gathered the uh doing the research about this band i mean it's just like it's such an incestuous scene i mean just there's so many members that just kind of like 
just keep on flip-flopping in other bands and projects and so forth, you know? Yeah, I know um, Steve Soto was in Agent Orange, the bass player from The Adolescents, and right. then guys did Time and Social Distortion, um, DI, I mean, yeah, there, there's a lot of bands, but then like, you know, it, the, I think somewhere out there, there's like a family tree of bands that came from the adolescence and it goes like all over the place, like the gamut of Southern oh, California bet. rock. Like everyone has, everyone seems to have a connection to the adolescence in one way or another. Oh yeah, no, I'm sure. I mean, if you, if you were doing punk at all, like in the late seventies, early eighties, most likely you kind of came across them or may have been involved with them or probably even had a short stint in the band. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I also, I think that scene was so small then. Like now I know these bands have gotten some popularity and, you know, for what, thanks to bands probably like The Offspring and uh, the Tony Hawk soundtrack kind of giving them a wider audience. But oh, yeah. I know like back in their their heyday, it was a pretty small scene. I mean, as you can see by how incestuous it was, everybody ended up coming from the same band essentially, you know? Right, right. So tell me a little bit about your background, because you're uh, an original uh, California native, correct? Yeah, I am. I am from Los Angeles. I grew up there and I lived there till I was 18. And I then moved to San Francisco and I lived there for about seven years. And now I'm in New York and I've been in New York for almost 12 years now. Hmm. So I've, oh, okay. I haven't lived in L.A. in a long time, but I... You know, all my family's still there. Uh, I go back pretty often, but yeah, I've um, I, I started there, but I, I yeah, I have not lived in LA in quite some time. Yeah. Well, how do you how do you feel about uh, California and Los Angeles in, in general, as far as like their scene is concerned? I'm like I'm pretty out of touch with their actual scene, but I like know growing up and what I grew up in. Uh, what was really great, and maybe this is like just a bigger city thing, I found like shows were very accessible, especially all ages shows. Like I was able to see, and I feel like when I was in middle school and high school, I was I was going to shows every weekend, and like there was never not a show happening. I I was able to see so many bands, and uh, yeah, so I think it's a good scene. I mean, there's there's just a lot of accessibility which is important and you know mm -hmm. i found thankfully that san francisco wasn't a whole lot different and uh new york is definitely not a whole lot different i mean there's just like lots of stuff to see and do all the time music wise which um was great for me growing up um and it's great for me now i've i've slowed down a little bit i i, I don't go to as many shows as i used to but um right. yeah growing up it was great to like just any band I checked out, I knew I could be able to like any band that I heard about and wanted to go see live. It was not very hard to to seek that out. Right. Yeah. OK, well, that's cool. Uh, and so growing up, like when uh, what was like music like in the house growing up for you? Um, My mom, like, doesn't like music at all, I feel like. <laughs> really? I, yeah, oh, she's wow. she just like I don't know. She's just like one of those people that. um. I mean, I think she likes music as much as the next person, but she's not like a huge fan like like I am. Like I I sure, love music. Sure. I, you know, soak it all up as much as I can. I would say in my house, though, my dad was definitely he's a big music fan. He's he's like an old hippie. 
Um, he likes the, he loves the Grateful Dead. He loves mm -hmm. a lot of folk music. He definitely kind of turned me on to like Rolling Stones and The Who, uh, stuff like that, which were kind of gateway bands of sorts to me um, to get more into like rock and roll punk stuff. And that was, you know, kind of the extent. Um, growing up in L.A., you spent a lot of time in the car and um, I spent a lot of time listening to K-Rock, K-R-O-Q in Los Angeles and that. Okay. You know, it, at one point they were actually playing pretty decent music and then it, they kind of started not to. I think new metal kind of ruined KROQ. But um, mm. yeah, they, you know, they were great. They would often play, uh, you know, stuff from the 80s just out of nowhere. Um, there used to be, I think he's still there, this sort of influential DJ, Rodney Bingheimer. He has, oh, okay. a, he has a series of comps called Rodney on the Rock. Right. which had like lots of these bands like X and Black Flag and Circle Jerks and Adolescents and Agent Orange. Yeah, um, he kind of gave them their, their start. Like as far as Adolescence is concerned, I mean, I saw that specifically them, like he kind of like uh, uh, premiered some of their first singles. Yeah, totally. Uh, he definitely gave like a platform to lots of those bands, you know, the Germs too, the Weirdos, the Alley Cats, Skulls, all sorts of bands from that time period. So when I was a kid, like around lunchtime, if you were listening to K-Rock, they would sneak those songs in every once in a while. And it was a good gateway for me in between, you know, like the Blink-182 and lit songs that they were playing. It was kind of cool to hear like this, yeah. this stuff from, you know, decades earlier. Right. right. Um, yeah. So, so like what, uh, around what year was it that you were kind of listening to, to K-Rock at this time that you're describing? Like in the late 90s, um, okay. like 98, 99, when I was in high school, I definitely uh, was listening to K-Rock a lot. You know, it, I hate to, it sounds so cliche, but you are just like stuck in traffic, sitting in the car. It wasn't like, you know, how it is now. You could put on XM radio or connect your Bluetooth or whatever your car. I was, I was listening to the That's radio right. a lot or like, uh, you know, the CDs that I had if, if my CD player was working in the car at the time. So, um, so yeah, a lot of K-Rock was listened to in my, in my youth. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, it seems like it was a pretty good station. I mean, especially historically speaking, I mean, obviously they, they did a lot to, uh, bring up and promote like new young bands, punk bands specifically, but, um, but the adolescence, this, I mean, this was around late seventies, early eighties. Um, but, uh, so now you're you're younger than I thought you were going to be. <laughs> Sorry. <yeah. laughs> no, that's OK. It's just because like, I, I didn't know like what your connection to this band was like as far as like because I didn't know considering you came from California, like if you actually like were there to see the band when they were performing kind of in their prime. I've never been able to see them in, in their prime because I wasn't alive, but I did. Right. You know, they kind of reformed around I think they would occasionally do like reunion shows, but K-Rock did this big summer show. It's called like the Inland Invasion. And they had a whole bunch of punk bands play that like kind of got back together and hadn't mm -hmm. played in a while. Like the Sex Pistols were the big headliner. Oh, Sex okay. Pistols and Blink-182 are the big headliners. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, yeah, it is weird. <laughs> but, um, you know, the Adolescents played, TSOL played, the Circle Jerks played, all, all these great bands. And this was like... This is either 2000 or 2001. And after that, I saw the adolescents a lot. Like they played Southern California a lot with, for a little while, they were playing with their original lineup. 
then, you know, a couple guys here and there wouldn't play. And now I think they're at the point where it's just the lead singer. He's the only original member that right. still plays. But I, I was very lucky to see a lot of those bands before they got too old. Now they're, in my opinion, teetering on like too old. I mean, it's, I can't imagine what it's like to be in your sixties singing about, you know, songs you wrote in high school about high school problems. <laughs> it must feel <laughs> yeah. kind of weird. Right. Especially, I mean, like the content of this album specifically, I mean, it's very, um, very teen angsty, you know, and very much like, you know, oh, fucking can't get a date. Go, just gotta go home, jerk off instead, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I mean, they're, um, and also like where they're from, uh, Fullerton, California, it's in Orange County and it's just kind of, and I think you get this from the album. It, it's just a very bland, boring, suburban place with cookie cutter homes and, and not mm-hmm. much else. And, right. you know, I can't imagine what freaks the adolescents must've been when they were in Orange County in the late seventies, early eighties, like they must've really stuck out and, uh, Oh Yeah. <laughs> no, actually, I, to 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 do a little bit of research for this uh, for this uh, show tonight, I was um, I watched a movie on uh, on Amazon. Uh, what is it called? Uh, Clockwork Orange County. I don't know that one. Is it's a documentary? I'm assuming. Yeah, it's a documentary, uh, sp- kind of specifically about the cuckoo's nest. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's it's fucking crazy. Me. Yeah, and so yeah. they had a bunch of bands, including uh, members of the adolescents, uh, all the original um 70s punk bands that were coming up in in uh around the oc at that time and just kind of like their stories about that club specifically how integral it was to their scene and their community at the time and how absolutely fucking insane it was because i mean it was just like it was violent very it was very very violent violent. Yeah. yeah yeah um specifically with the um there was some some like cowboy club next door to it they kind oh, of like really? shared the parking lot and so like the the cowboys would fucking come out and just start shit with the punkers all the time and you know punks being punks they're not gonna just stand for it i mean obviously they fought back and shit and the cops was another big issue yeah so it was constant struggles constant battles you know constant violent uh, fighting and violence it's kind of nuts it's um like going to shows in la versus going to shows in orange county the orange county element was always very violent like those were usually like the knuckleheads that would come to a show in LA and there's a fight or especially in Orange County like unfortunately there's a very big like neo-nazi population that shows up to these shows every once in a while and you know start stuff like I saw I was at an adolescent TSOL show in like 2002 or three and some neo-nazi guy showed up and he got stabbed like on stage it was and it was gnarly it was gnarly yeah. oh man he, he was like standing there on the side of the stage like you know how sometimes people do at shows uh people like sure. you know, friends of the banner and stuff and uh yeah he was standing on the side of the stage and some guy came up and stabbed him and i remember they shut down the venue with everybody inside it until they could figure out what was going on and it was it was pretty scary <laughs> Yeah. And that that's like, I feel like that is a typical Orange County thing. Like the, they just bring out a bad element. And the stories you hear about the cuckoo's nest, it's just like violent. I mean, I don't know. I Maybe I'm thinking too much about like the lyrics to adolescent songs and TSOL stuff, but 
I just picture like these super bored suburbanite kids who like let it all out when they go to these shows. Like they just have all this pent up anger and mm-hmm. yeah. then bad shit happens. Yeah. No, I mean, I, 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 I mean, I've kind of witnessed stuff like that myself here in Rhode Island. I mean, um, you know, they're not, I mean, I, I was going to a lot of like weird underground punk shows, uh, noise rock shows, stuff like that. Where are you based? And- Rhode Island? Is that in Texas? Rhode Island? No, it's a uh, uh, East Coast. I'm uh, four hours north from you, from New oh. York. Oh, I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. No, that's I'm, all right. I went exactly Texas. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that, 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 that's like that shirt. It's just like, where in the hell is Rhode Island? It's fucking, it's the smallest state in the, in the country. Oh, did you say Rhode Island? I thought you said Rhode, Rhode Island. Island. Oh, oh I, I'm sorry. No, no I, I misheard you. Okay, you're in Rhode Island. Duh, I'm in yeah. Rhode Island. That is not in Texas. I know where that is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, no, I mean, and so like here, it's just like, yeah, the, uh, some of the underground shows, I mean, like there was a little bit of that. And the the funny thing is that like, I think the, the universal thing about punks is that uh, I remember going to like this uh, this warehouse show in, uh, in Olneyville in Providence and like a friend of ours, like a mutual friend of like a lot of people that were there at this show, like got jumped like someone just like kind of like decked him like out of nowhere Jesus. and i remember uh my good friend my good friend dan st jakes who actually is the lead singer of the band hammer party um i remember him just going after those goods like he just saw his friend on the ground just like fucking like holding his face is all bloody and shit and he just fucking went after this guy and just literally like and fucking like grabbed him and just brought him to the ground Jesus. and just fucking like just totally like chounced him oh my god that's not yeah. like Right. But I mean, like the punks do that. I mean, they stand up for, yeah. for, for one another and like, you know, they're not they're not afraid to fucking throw down when when needed, you know? Yeah, no, I've, I've seen it all the time. Um, unfortunately, I don't see it as much in New York, thankfully. But, you know, I don't know, Southern California, even Northern California, I would see it a lot. Mm. Um, just random fights and violence and I'm okay with not seeing that very much anymore. I'm not into that at all. No, man, me too, man. I, 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 I can't. I would just, I don't even, I wouldn't even know what to do if I like got in the middle of a fight at this point because I just don't want to. I, I have no. I, I don't either. I, I feel you. I, I want no part of that. I'm a lover. Yeah. Well, so what's it like being a being, you know, being a punker now? I mean, it, it's different. Um, I also think in New York. I don't know. The scene is interesting here. I think it's very like fractured and clicky. Um, and a, a lot of like what moral panic is about is we're not really sure where we fit in with like what click. Mm. Cause we're, I don't know. We're, we're not really a rock band We're I, I think we're a punk band, but a lot of people don't think so. And um, I think, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot going on in New York at all times. And uh there's a lot of different shows and it's kind of hard to keep up with, with what's what. And I live here and I feel that way. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I think the scene's like kind of fractured and it's kind of all over the place. And, hmm. you know, the stuff that's popular here right now is like D beat punk. I see a lot of people walking around like they're in discharge or something. And uh, you've got like those people and then your garage people and then your metalheads, and somewhere in between there, like, moral panic is is somewhere um yeah. so the scene's weird here i i think it's okay. weird and well, it, it, it doesn't help that your band is so kind of like unique in a sense because i mean moral panic i've listened to all of your records so far 
Oh, thank you. And um, no, no problem. It was, it's great, actually. It's really great music. I mean, it does fit into the kind of like punk vein. It has a little bit of a, of a kind of a traditional punk sense, like as far as like, you know, like the connection to the adolescence and then other earlier punk bands. But there's also a very rock and roll element to it, too. So yeah. it kind of like teeters on a line, like you're saying. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, I think it does for sure. And like, I, I don't necessarily want to be a punk band. I don't like, I don't really like the label. Um, I just feel like you say that to somebody and they have a very distinct picture of what that is and what you sound like. And I just, hmm. I hate, I hate to be pigeonholed like that. Right. Um, and you, you couldn't feel comfortable also saying like, I'm in a rock and roll band. Right. Cause of the very same reason. I feel right. like you, people have a very specific idea of what you look and sound like. And I just like, I don't feel the same sentiment. I don't want to, I don't want to have that. I rather try and be a little bit more unique. And mm -hmm. uh, that can be difficult here in New York because like I said, there's definitely, it's fractured and there's lots of clicks right. and like the music is moving farther and farther away from the places it used to be played at. Like, you know, now there's lots of shows in Queens, a uh, queen like Ridgewood Queens is the cool new neighborhood. 10 years yeah. ago, that was not the case at all. Uh, 10 years ago, I would not even know where Ridgewood Queens is. Um, but now like that's where all the cool stuff is happening. Huh. I mean, it used to be Williamsburg and Manhattan before that. And now like Manhattan, unless you're a big band playing in bigger clubs, they're just there really aren't any places to play. And the mm -hmm. same is kind of happening at William in Williamsburg. Everything's just sort of going farther out um, where you have more freedom to do that stuff. And uh, the older I get, the harder it is for me to keep up with, you know, where the sure. cool places are and who the cool new young bands are. Cause I just, there's so many, um, I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot to keep up with and yeah, who knows? I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, the thing is to just go wherever you're, you're, you're desired, you know, like go, go, yeah. to the, go to the people where, you know, people know who you are and then like you, you know, I mean, totally, totally. God, I must sound so lame. <laughs> like, I don't know anything that's going on. I'm out of touch. Um, well, no, no, I mean, I, I, I am definitely out of touch. I mean, like I, I barely go out. I haven't been out like at all this month. <laughs> I've made a point like after the pandemic that I'm, I'm trying to go to a show at least once a week and just like whether it's a band I know or not know like I just want to go out and see what's going on so I've been doing that more and uh, that has helped me kind of see what's out there but I can still tell you there's so much happening in this in the quote-unquote scene here that it's hard for me to give you an accurate assessment of like a scene report because <laughs> oh, I'm, sure, I'm still trying to figure it out myself um, oh I bet I mean it's ever evolving in New York I mean New York is, is. the fucking epicenter yeah yeah, it is. It is. It's definitely evolving. And uh, yeah, you know, I kind of like that. I kind of don't like it. It's hard to, um, I like having like buddy bands. Like I, I used to have, I feel like there's more camaraderie in a place like San Francisco. It's also a much smaller city, city. but in New York, uh, you know, you don't have as everybody, it's competitive. Um, it's fractured, like I said. So mm -hmm. you don't have like your buddy bands that you know you can always get shows with and rely on i mean i guess you do to a certain extent but not like not like how the adolescents did that's for damn sure <laughs> yeah right yeah. so uh well let's uh, let's get back into uh to to california 
Okay, sure. let's go. Let's go back in history a little bit. So you're you're a young kid uh, in California listening to K Rock and kind of like you know soaking up some some musical influences from there. Uh, what where does the gateway uh, into punk and and the adolescence the adolescence specifically? Um, definitely skateboarding. Like adolescence oh, right. and skateboarding go hand in hand, and a, a lot of those bands just like there's a very solid union of skateboarding and uh, skate videos were huge gateways to like because a lot of this music was harder to come by than it is now like you know now it's so easy if you just want to check something out you you know Search spotify it. youtube it's super easy but back then like skate videos the soundtrack to skate videos were hugely influential and big gateways and yeah i'm trying to think of the first time i heard the adolescence i mean i, I definitely i saw them I might have seen them first before I actually like heard them on the radio. Um, mm -hmm. When I saw them at that show in 2001 that K-Rock put on that giant festival, um, yeah. that might've been the first time I heard them. But then, you know, I'm sure the adolescents owe a lot to Tony Hawk after he put the song Amoeba in, in that video game. That, oh, right. yeah. that song was pretty... Was blaring in a lot of young boys' rooms after that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that might have been that might have been like my first real intro to them, but they definitely were getting played on. I would hear them on K Rock. I definitely was going to shows before that game came out where they were involved. I mean, honestly, bigger bands like this is so embarrassing that I'm going to say this, but bands like The Offspring really kind of repped these Orange County bands, like I think the offspring might even cover Agent Orange. Um, hmm. But like those bands, they they kind of brought them into the limelight, like the bands like the Vandals, another Orange County band that was kind of big. I don't know if they were on a major like the offspring, but they were big, big enough. Sure. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that would be it would start from there. Like you, you hear the offspring and then you want to figure out oh, who were they influenced by? And so on and so on and so on. And everything kept coming back to that Adolescence Blue album for me. Hmm. Um, and then I finally got my hands on it and I was like, whoa, this is, this is awesome. Um, it really does kind of hit off all the marks for me. It's, it's just got, it's angsty, it's fast. It's got ripping guitars. Uh, there's even some mid-tempo songs that are really good. Um, hmm. And yeah, to me, it's just a, uh, great great soundtrack to actually being a teenager and growing up somewhere that is boring and you feel like you can't get out of and that album like i think personifies that perfectly oh yeah um, i would agree with really, that sure yeah it's really just kind of a great like i'm stuck in suburbia what do i do how do i get out i'm pissed off and uh and yeah, I'm, I got, I'm, I'm trying to think of like the exact intro, but it's got to be somewhere in what I was saying, like Social Distortion too. They're another band that often they would play when, when I was in high school, Social Distortion would play at the House of Blues on the Sunset Strip in December. They would play like the entire month, like December 1st to 31st. I don't know why, but, and the shows would always be packed and they would have different openers every night. And a lot of times it would be these kind of seminal yet somewhat unknown punk bands. And I think the adolescents are more known, 
but I, I mean, I saw lots of cool band like the Dickies, mm-hmm. um, the Gears. Who else? Channel Three, like lots, lots of these cool bands from Orange County that not many people know of. But when Social D was starting out, you know, Social D was either opening for or going on tour with. So that was another gateway. And like, mm. like, oh, Social D is okay, but I really like these bands that you know are opening for them and. Who are they? Then there's why are they so old and weird looking? And uh, <laughs> and yeah, it kind of just kept going from there. Okay, cool. And so I imagine that uh, 2001, you saw that show. Were uh, you were a teen in 2001? I assume. Yeah, I was a teenager then. Okay, all right. So that's so it's hitting all the right spots for for oh, your your one hundred percent, one hundred percent. All right. Yeah, it definitely so, was. And so and and now so your progression into music, like why like. How did you get into music and making music yourself? I, you know, I was always just attracted to playing guitar. And I, I always liked being on stage when I was a kid. Uh, I, I liked the attention. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I did. I just liked, you know, whole, I liked, I'm, I'm a big ham. I like kind of being on stage and, you know, interacting and, I forget when I first saw someone play guitar, but I must've been about 12 or 13 years old. And I decided like, I'm going to take this up. And I did. And I really stuck with it. And just like, from even from when I first got my first guitar and I was 13, I would just sit in my room and practice for hours. And a lot of it would be playing along to this stuff or trying to play along to it. I was probably struggling quite a bit in the first couple of years, but yeah, I mean, I would just lock myself in a room and I, I was so, I, I would soak up all this music stuff like a sponge. And I was so inspired to just, you know, get up there and do what the bands I was so into was doing. Probably the first band might have been like Rancid. This is so embarrassing, all this stuff I'm saying. <laughs> That's not embarrassing. You're a teenager. That's, you got to start somewhere, man. But probably something like Rancid. And then <clears throat> from Rancid, I found out about The Clash, who are like, one of my all-time favorite bands and that just from the clash i just i mean i was saying before i i like to look up these bands and find out who inspired them and then who inspired them and and a lot came back to the clash the clash really kind of opened especially for punk yeah 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 (laughs) i mean that's what i was really i was all in on punk and um you know the clash really was like oh my god there's so many bands influenced by the clash and so many of their peers and then I was, yeah, like, you know, I was saying I was lucky to have so much, so much of this around me because as I was like learning about this stuff and soaking it all up, I was realizing how many of these bands are still playing and they're like coming to my town next week or the week after. Uh, so I, you know, I went, I went every weekend, whenever I could, whoever, whoever was around new bands, older bands, like the adolescents and circle jerks, you know, I was seeing them all the damn time. Yeah. And uh, that just kept inspiring me to play guitar even more um, and keep practicing and keep doing it. And and now look at me now. <laughs> <laughs> and so what was your first band? My first band I created in the dorm of my college in San Francisco. We were called Dead Ringers. We sounded a lot like the Ramones and uh, Devil Dogs. And we were not very good, but... We played quite a bit. We toured a bit. I remember we booked a disastrous two-week tour on MySpace. 
Um, <laughs> and I, you know, like I said, I practiced a lot. I was, I'm, I would like to think I'm a pretty decent guitar player. And from there, a lot of older bands, like bands with older people in it would ask me to come and play guitar for them. And that kind of got me into playing in even more bands and touring more. And, um, but Dead Ringers was the start. We put out a couple seven inches uh, that are not, that are probably hard to find because I don't even know who put them out anymore at this point. Maybe you can hmm. find it on Discogs, but we put out two seven inches. If you want, I, I probably have like a box of 50 of them somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll take some. Yeah, but yeah. That, was, that was my first real band. And uh, yeah, it, it was a fun learning experience. Um, definitely learned a lot, mainly things not to do. <laughs> um, sure. But yeah, it was fun. And that, yeah, that was my first band. And we sounded, I've never really been in a band that sounds like the adolescents. I hope one day I, I do. But this band definitely sounded a lot more like Ramones and hmm. Dead Boys and the Devil Dogs. We definitely wanted to be a New York band from the late seventies. Yeah. Okay. Weird. That's it, interesting that you would, you would say that considering, you know, you're from California. Um, you were drawn to the East coast and, and that's that, that opposite sound, because I mean, like, you know, East coast, West coast is always that kind of conflict between, you know, these different sounds. Yeah. Look, I love the, the West coast sound, but I think I just, I had so much of it that I wanted to do something that was the complete opposite hmm. so east coast <laughs> do you think that the east coast sound is a little darker as far as punk is concerned Ah, uh, that's very subjective um i i actually think west coast is darker really i i, I do i do i mean look i'm no disrespect to new york stuff being dark i just think I don't know. For me, I feel like the uh, the West Coast stuff is a little angrier, um, a little more chip on your shoulder. Hmm. And again, no disrespect. If Agnostic Front is out there listening, they might have a bone to pick with me. But you know, <laughs> uh, I, I I would probably lean towards the West Coast. Hmm. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm I'm really not that familiar with like uh, with punk music. I mean, mm -hmm. like I like punk music, and I and you know, I kind of grew up with it, but uh, I, I never got too deep into it. Um, so I'm not, I'm certainly not like, you know, uh, prolific when it comes to punk, like punk history and punk bands and so forth. <clears throat> but, um, you know, there's definitely, I, I definitely know enough to kind of figure out a few things or at least kind of put some pieces together. Um, for sure. Um, so now your first band dead ringers. And then, so when does more moral panic start? Moral panic came quite a bit after I was in a, I was in like two other bands in San Francisco or three other bands in San Francisco that were active I was in a band called complaints and we put out a number of singles like four um I was in a band called paper bags I did one single with them and then I was in a band called revolts that was kind of it's kind of like an all-star band of sorts it, it had um the singer from Me First in the Gimme Gimmies was the singer of that band and a couple other characters who were sort of known in the Bay Area. And, mm -hmm. and we we played, that was fun to be in. I was, it was very, I actually met the bass player from the adolescents when we were on tour uh, oh, cool. playing in Long Beach. We had dinner with him, which was very cool for me. I was 
quite starstruck. Yeah. Steve um, Soto, right? Steve Soto. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that was very cool. But then I moved to New York and I joined this band called Livids that we, we had some momentum for a little bit. We had a, the singer from New Bomb Turks, another sort of known punk yep. band. He was okay. the singer. And we, we did some touring. We put out a bunch of seven inches. Somebody recently actually put out like an LP collection of our seven inches, which was very cool. Um, and that band kind of ended unceremoniously. Like we were getting lots of really cool offers to do things and we just could never get it together to do them. So mm-hmm. we broke up and uh, me and the drummer, we, we were the ones who were like the hungriest one to do, keep doing stuff. So we started this band together and uh, at first it started like I was just going to play guitar and we were going to get a singer and it would kind of be a similar lineup to the other bands I've been in where, you know, there's just a singer and I'm just guitar, but we just could not find anybody that we liked. And we, we like went through multiple people and it was just, I mean, we were having fun, but we, we just couldn't get it clicking. And finally one day we were just like, you know, I was just like, you know what? I'm already writing the songs. I might as well sing them. So we started doing that. We recorded our first record thinking we were going to do it as a demo. Like we did it. We recorded 10 songs in four hours with the whole band. Yeah, Yeah. it was pretty damn fast. And we had that sitting around for a while. We couldn't really get anyone to put it out. And then um, someone who put out a single for my old band, livids he came to see us play on a whim and we got to talking and he put out the first record um the one on slovenly it's like a white and black record oh right um, yeah self-titled yeah two of those <laughs> yes we're very <laughs> creative um and then you know we went through a lot of personnel changes me and the drummer kind of had a falling out so he left and then we got another drummer did another record then COVID happened. And during COVID, um, I got together with Eric Robel, who I've known for a long time. He's been in a bunch of bands, um, Heroin Sheiks, Born and Loose. He's a great drummer, great guy. Uh, we, we got to playing. And then we got my friend Mike, who had played with us here and there. And we just, you know, banged out uh, a seven inch and a record during the pandemic. And we, um, we played shows in our drummer's house. Like uh, we would open up the bay windows to his apartment and just, you know, whoever was walking by could come check us out, yeah. which was very fun cool. during the pandemic, like the height of the pandemic when things weren't really open, especially right. venues. So we would get some pretty big crowds and uh, it, it was really cool. And I think a lot of people, including us, were just, it was a nice way to like positively blow off steam when you're, kind of confined to your apartment or whatever and um eric and mike they did a documentary called color of noise about um amrep records and they you know it's it's basically about noise rock besides the label like lots of i'm not huge into noise but you know like bands like the melvins and uh what's john brand laughing hyenas uh, lots of those noisy bands are in it And they have the connection with Reptilian Records. So Reptilian Records ended up putting out this new Moral Panic record, which is definitely kind of a departure for them. Like they don't really have too many bands that sound like like this. 
Right. And it was it was co-released with a, a German label who put out our second late who put out our second record. Uh, they're called Alien Snatch Records. Also, like we're pretty different from most <laughs> the bands that they put out. They're more like on the uh, happy fun time garage stuff, and we're hmm. we're different for sure. Yeah, right. Well, that's weird. Uh, so I've actually been. <laughs> I actually just finished a uh, massive noise rock series. Uh, so it's all noise rock bands and stuff like that. So um, and 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 the funny thing is, is like it's all based. It's all revolving around No Coast Fest in Texas, and uh, and it was funny because all of those bands that are playing that festival that are they're all you know categorized as noise rock bands. Um, they're all very different, you know. And like Moral Panic, I actually I think you. I th maybe your music doesn't have an, a, just enough noise to it, but I think it's just different enough that it possibly could kind of even fit in there. I mean, look, that's the exact kind of stuff that we're open to. Like, we don't, I, I don't like the labels, you know? I just like playing sure, sure. with good bands. Right. No, Noisy yeah, or right. not. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, those guys in, in Moral Panic, like, they love the noise rock stuff. Sorry, my cat just jumped out of a dress. <laughs> yeah, <bag>. I saw. <laughs> cool. Um, you know, I I just don't know that much about it, but I I like it, and I like that their their kind of influence on our our newer stuff to be kind of louder and noisier and just brash. I I like I appreciate it, um, and, and it has made me check out more of the stuff. Like we cover a big black song on a seven inch we put out. I, oh, I think cool. I would consider them noise rock. They're somewhere yeah, around there. Certainly. Yeah. I hardly ever listen to that until we decided to cover this. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan now. I like Big Black. Um, cool. It's definitely opening up my eyes to, like, all this music that I did not even know was there. Right. Like, some of these bands I've definitely heard of, but, you know, I couldn't name one Melvin song. <laughs> and I know they have a lot of them out there. You could probably um, just put a few words together and you'll probably nail one. <laughs> Okay, they got so many. They got so many fucking records. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do they have like a hit song that everyone knows that everyone's like, play this song? Well, I mean, I think their their deep fans probably would say yes. Um, yeah, I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, you? there's probably such an array of like their fans that would just no one's shouting out the same thing, you know? Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, so let's get into this record because uh, we're yeah. actually kind of running out of time. We're, we're already uh, kind of running a little late. But so the Adolescence self-titled record, uh, it's you know commonly known as the Blue Album. Uh, a little bit of historical background for people just because I, I know I was confused by this record and the lineup and all that stuff. Like it was just a lot to take. So a uh, little historical background on the Adolescence told by Frank Agnew. Uh, this is actually off of their website. Um, the Adolescents formed in January 1980 in Fullerton, California by Steve Soto after he was booted from Agent Orange in December 1979. The original members were Tony Cadena on vocals, Steve Soto bass, Frank Agnew guitar, John O'Donovan guitar, and Peter Pan on drums. Both John and Peter left in June and were replaced by Rick Agnew on guitar and Casey Royer on drums, both formerly of Social, social Distortion and The Detours. Uh, Adolescence signed with Frontier Records in January 1981 and recorded the Blue Album the following month. From start to master, the album was done in four days. Pretty awesome. Uh, the album started hitting the stores in April, and Rick was relieved from the band <clears throat> just as the band was being just as the album was being released. So, uh, so that's pretty much 
the focal point right there for for this album yes uh first song on the album is i hate children i never try to walk to the house i hate children raising right to walk in the house i hate children I hate children. First of all, like just, I think Rick Agnew, the guitar player in this is like just uh, an unspoken hero of this kind of punk. Like I, I think he really kind of set the template for how a lot of people went on to play. And he's just a really great guitar player. It's funny. He went on to form, he really got into goth stuff after this, which is very bizarre. But he's right, a founding right. member of Christian Death, yeah, um, yeah, which could not sound farther from the adolescence. And um, his solo stuff is great. He he also did a a record called All by Myself that sounds a lot like the adolescence, where he plays every single instrument himself and sings. And you can tell like he's the main architect of this band. Um, you know, how they sound, not, not so much lyrically, which Mm -hmm. the lyrics are very important here, but the music, it's very much, you can tell from the other bands he's gone on to play in, like, this is, this is his music. Like he is the, yeah, he's the mastermind for sure. Right. It's so weird considering it was like, this was pretty much the only record he was on, I think. No, uh, for the adolescence. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. I, I got the first two times i saw them it was all original members and he played but apparently he's got like you know substance problems mental health problems he's not easy to be around apparently so he Mm. yeah he did this album and that was pretty much it um but he did him and the drummer went on to form di which is basically another extension of the adolescence It's, it's kind of picking up where they left off the songs sound very similar it's just uh, the adolescence drummer sings now. Um, so yeah, he okay. uh, Rick Agnew set the tone for this. But I Hate Children, I was always drawn to this song because of just, it's, a, it's such a statement. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like kind of ridiculous, um, but it, it's just, yeah, it's such a statement. Of, and it's so like, oh, okay, this is how we're going to start things off. Like, I right. Hate Children, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so what I found was um, inspired by a conversation, uh, Brandenburg, which I guess is Tony Kadena. His his real name is Brandenburg. Is that correct? He has like 10 different aliases that I'm not sure. It, it must be like. Because is, is he going by Reflex now? Tony Reflex? There's Tony Adolescent. There's Tony Reflex. Oh, there's Jesus Tony Christ. Like, okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming it's him. I All think right. it's him. I'll just say Brandenburg. That's what I, that's what it was listed as when I found this quote. So um, he overheard uh, while riding a bus. So quote: It was a snapshot of a man saying to his wife, with his children, uh, they are crying that he hated children and can't stand them. Uh, he so uh, this is him saying this in 2011, and this was the same message that my father had given me when I expressed that people people didn't understand where that was coming from. I wasn't saying this was me. I'm mirroring something that I'm seeing right now. This was what was going on in my life. I didn't know that. That's powerful and sad. Yeah. Well, yeah, because because unfortunately it's true. I mean, like you know, I'm, I think these days, you know, people are uh, 
obviously I'm a parent myself. I have kids. Mm-hmm. And so obviously there's a, uh, you know, there's a whole different mentality that comes around raising children these days where, you know, uh, abusing children is completely unacceptable. Whereas, you know, when I was a kid and I don't know if it was the same for you as uh, when you were a kid, but, um, you know, my wife and I speak about this, uh, where, you know, we, we got fucking hit all the time as kids, you know, it's just like our parents threatened us. Like it was just like, you know, don't, if you do that, it's just like, you're going to fucking get it, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Which totally common for, for people like my age. So, um, so, I mean, I can, I can understand that and I can, you know, see where he was coming from when he was writing this and he was writing this as a teen and i'm sure that he probably got it from his parents you know at some point oh i i think he definitely did and i i don't know if you saw any pictures of what these guys looked like when the blue album came out came out but tony brandenburg reflex adolescent whatever he is he was like a teeny tiny guy like like he looked like he was 90 pounds you know wet um he just he was teeny tiny um And I love that this teeny tiny person, like literally I, I can picture him being stuffed in a locker by, you know, someone on the football team. Um, I love that he's out there yelling into a microphone, singing these songs about, you know, I hate not, I know it's not like from his point of view, but just, you know, the, I hate children. It's a, <laughs> it's a powerful statement. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that all the kids, you know, all the punkers that were listening to this music and going to those shows, um, they probably related, you know, I mean, maybe they saw it as just, you know, being just kind of like a violent song, you know, yeah. like this, uh, but, but in, in reality, I mean, considering they probably lived it themselves. Yeah, I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. You know, the yeah. whole, I hate my parents thing. I mean, they definitely, definitely had a lot of that going around. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean it's the it's the POV of of their parents that they're singing to, um, and I think yeah. that's that's pretty interesting. So now uh, you were telling me about your childhood and growing up. It sounded like you came from a home uh, with both your parents. I didn't actually. Okay. Um, my parents were divorced pretty much from as long as I can remember. So a lot of this did like I was not being abused, thankfully, but I definitely uh, you know. I, their frustration was something I could certainly relate to. And uh, even though, you know, I was not around when they were seeing this in their prime, I was seeing them as middle-aged men seeing this. It's still like, it felt familiar. Yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so when, when did your parents separate? Like, did you live with them at all ever? Or was it always kind of like, I mean, I did, but they split when I was like, two oh, so, so pretty early yeah i don't really remember it at all yeah i really i have very few memories of my parents living under the same roof yeah wow okay so uh i mean i don't know if that was kind of a, uh one of the things that inspired you uh or or kind of like you know directed you into the the punk punk music and punk lifestyle uh it it probably helps i think though like kind of having a a unique home life inspired me to play music more in general, just because it was like something to do and something to preoccupy myself. And, you know, yeah, the punk stuff, it, the subject matter didn't hurt, you know, just a yeah. bored suburban punk. <laughs> right. All right. Yeah. So we'll get into a lot more of that. Um, 
So the next song is Who Is Who. Who's Who is one of my favorite songs. I'm not, you're going to have to tell me what it's really about. Um, but I can tell you that I just, it's one of my favorite riffs. I, I just think it's such a cool sounding song. And I spent a lot of time playing along to it when I was a kid. And uh, I, I've just, it's definitely one of my favorite songs on this record. Great song. Okay. Well, no, I don't have any, any uh, hard facts about this song. Uh, I don't have facts about every song. Um, for the most part, I, I uh, a lot of them I kind of just kind of summarized it because um, like who is who is what I think it feels like this is saying there's no one to trust. Uh, anyone is capable of, of fucking with you, including friends. Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, lyrically, that's definitely, I guess I should pull pull up the lyrics for reference. I just pulled up like the... Uh the track listing for reference but uh who is who i just i love the guitar and i found out later that they were really influenced by um black sabbath and i can kind of i can sort of hear the influence i mean it's like black sabbath on speed but um yeah i can kind of hear that but i didn't you know i haven't studied the lyrics that much some of some of the songs i have because like I've just been playing these specific songs forever and ever, but um, <laughs> yeah, who is who that does kind of make sense that it would be about something like that. I'm sorry. Should <laughs> I should have done more homework? No, no, you don't have to do anything actually. I mean, you're, you're just a fan. That's all you really need to do. Um, so let's see. Uh, let's skip down the list. Let's go okay. to, I like wrecking crew, but let's, uh, let's do LA girl. LA Girl I do know more about. I know that that's a song about kind of the disgust with the LA scene and how it's like sort of fake, which all things that are not untrue. I mean, these are the difference between Fullerton, California and Hollywood is there's a big difference. I mean, Hollywood's like where all the stuff was happening, all the shows, all the cool people and Fullerton could not be less cooler. I mean, Fullerton's the place you go by in the highway and it's like McDonald's, Burger King, Taco Bell. And then you're at the next exit and you're in a different town. Like you just, there's not much there. And yeah, yeah, I know that LA girl is kind of dunking on, on what the people are like in LA and, and the scene and how they look and how they care about their looks. Um, and yeah, another song that's awesome. And uh, I like the little dig, you know, I feel like there's a dig to the doors in there when they say LA woman. Um, right. Yeah. I, I could, think there was a little bit of that. There was a little bit of some kind of homage or, or, you know, uh, something, something kind of trying to tie into the doors. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who are the, you know, they're, they're a quintessential LA rock and roll band and definitely one that is not hard to take a dick at. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Especially for the, for some punks. I mean, you know, like they, uh, they I, I'm sure they didn't like dinosaurs and didn't like rock stars. I don't think so. I would think they no. did not. 
Right. It is funny though that a band like X, who was very popular within the LA punk scene at that time, um, Ray Manzarek from The Doors produced all their albums. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did like their first four records, which right. is which is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very strange how that happened. Um, so LA Girl, let's see, was written by Brandenburg in response to being rejected by a new classmate who had come to Magnolia High School from Los Angeles after her parents divorced. Uh, Brandenburg quote says, uh, she made it very clear that I didn't breathe the same atmosphere as her, he recalled 26 <laughs> years later. Quote, I was trying to tell her we were on the same page that I was that I was her only ally, but like pretty much all the girls then she just took thought I was a dork and uh thought I was a dork, an insect. <laughs> so uh kind of typical female rejection, I think, uh, especially from a high school perspective, like a teenager. Yeah. Um, and I, I think he's I don't know if you've looked up what he looked like back then, but I think he got rejected a lot unfortunately for him he's the he's the singer right so yeah uh, he he kind of looks like daniel johnston right like a really skinny daniel johnston now now he looks now how he looks in present day and like the past 20 years is very different from how he looked when he was you know writing the blue album he was like a little pipsqueak he was tiny and really really skinny right like yeah he, he looked like a child Right. He, he was a child. Yeah. Yeah, he was. He was a teenager, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, no, I, I think I, I saw like in that video, that movie I watched, um, there was a couple of like little clips of him and uh, and either some video or some fo- uh, some photographs. And like, yeah, and I, I can see that like he was definitely a run. Oh, yeah. He was 100 percent a run. Like, seriously, I I could I was not kidding when I said I could picture him like being stuffed in a locker that just. <laughs> I'm sure it happens. Like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's. Uh, I'm going to move on to the next song, "Self Destruct." Okay, so this one, I think I actually do know what it's about. I'm pretty sure it's about Darby Crash from the Germs. Who? Okay. Darby Crash was like you know, a performance artist who kind of sort of wanted to like die on stage, like just did everything in excess, did every drug. But a lot of people think he's a genius. And I mean, I, I love the germs. I thought they were great. That's the band that he fronted. Mm -hmm. But um, I read that this song was about that, like pretty self-explanatory, like someone actually, you know, trying to self-destruct, which is what Darby Crash ultimately ended up doing. Right, right. Okay, yeah, and that, that makes sense. And I mean, I think that was probably uh, comparable to the entire scene. Uh, there's probably a very similar uh, feeling that most of the people in that, that scene at the time had. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I found this, I, I found, uh, I actually found this from a uh, neurobehavioral uh, website. It says, well, while self-punishment or self-injury can be clearly identified identified as self-destructive using substances breaking the law or taking dangerous risks without regard for one's own safety are also self-destructive behaviors eating disorders too uh frequently occur in individuals who self-harm that sounds like darby crash (laughs) that all all of 
all of the boxes have been checked. <laughs> right, right. It's a, a weird though. That's it's uh it's like the psychiatrist was speaking directly to punks. Totally. I mean, I I think uh, if you were to ask any of the these punks when this was happening, if they would be headlining the riot fest in uh, 2019 or something, they would you know laugh you off the street. I, I don't think any of these people plan to live very long. Um, hmm. Thankfully, a lot of them have, though. Yeah, yeah. Surprisingly, I mean, uh, it's pretty shocking that uh, that a lot of them have have kind of gone on as an older age. Yeah, I, it it really truly is. <laughs> but so now I, this now this brought up something that I wanted to kind of like think about a little bit: uh, the whole idea of self destruction and like kind of uh, you know this concept of self destruct as a song. Uh, clearly, it's it's um, kind of describing a lot of the mentality that these kids felt uh, and obviously partook in as far as like, you know, breaking the law, just fucking vandalizing, destroying things, getting into fights. Um, That's a very punk thing. Um, What, and I think I was kind of asking you about this earlier, is this like, so you're not seeing self-destruction so much anymore in, in punk, like, like uh, as far as like, if you see other punk shows uh, at this time, not really. I mean, there's certainly still substance abuse and people living hard, but I don't think it's quite like what it was then. I mean, first of all, you don't have police coming in riot gear to your shows and shit like that. But, you know, there's there's so many different ideas of what punk is now. And some of it's like, live your life, be super healthy and, you know, positive mental attitude. And then some of it's like, do lines blow and get drunk every night um (laughs) you can i feel like you can pick your poison no pun intended now on like where you want to go with that in punk because i mean there's a whole straight edge scene that never existed then um because i can tell the the music then it was definitely not straight edge i think you'd be a straight up pariah if you were straight edge but now that that's different you that's cool to some people or it's not cool um i don't think the adolescents had much of a choice i think it was like you you're gonna numb yourself or get the fuck out of here right yeah i mean well they had a lot to deal with i mean like even just playing their shows and like things getting so crazy and violent i mean it's just like you kind of had to you know maybe uh, substance abuse drinking stuff like that was uh was kind of uh almost a precaution to to that scenario you know it's just like you're gonna get a show no matter what (laughs) yeah yeah it's like gearing up for war you know it's it's like well i'm just gonna get fucked up because i don't want to remember any of this stuff you know it seemed like it was war then too because like it was not predicted it was really not predictable if a show would go on or not you know it could get Mm. shut down before anyone even plays um so yeah (laughs) right all right well uh Let's uh, let's go on to the next song, Kids of the Black Hole. like their epic song to me and i i think sure. 
the black hole that they're referring to is Fullerton or, or just Orange County in general, uh, just kind of a place that is inescapable, mm-hmm. uh, a place you don't really want to be, but you're stuck there. And this, uh, this is definitely one that's got heavy rock elements to it. I feel like it's a long song for, for a punk band. Yeah, uh, it's epic. And there's, there's like a lot of different parts. And uh, yeah, this is a great song. I just think it's a really great song. A departure from a lot of just like, I know a lot of people think punk is just about, you know, anyone can do it. You don't need to necessarily be like a virtuoso um, playing crazy guitar solos and stuff. But I think that this is a song that, shows their chops and shows that they've got some like serious raw ability and that there's good songs in here that are Mm. like there's melody and stuff you know it's not just like bang you over the head stupid punk which i don't really think any of their songs are but this one is like a big rock song i think no i i agree with you i think you're right and i think that you're right um metaphorically speaking kind of maybe uh encapsulates (laughs) the whole philip fullerton uh community but um, but specifically, uh, descri- describes social distort and social distortions frontman Mike Ness's Fullerton apartment, uh, a graffiti covered drug den that was a hangout for punks and a site for par- uh, for parties, sex, and violence. Um, <laughs> so the, I got a quote from Steve Soto here. To me, it's one of the greatest punk rock songs of all time," said Soto in 2014. The song speaks to a disenfranchised youth with with hope. But calling out that if you don't change, there's a good chance you could end up uh, end up down and out or even dead. Yeah, I'm. I don't know if you've heard of this movie, Another State of Mind, that chronicles. It's a documentary that chronicles um, social distortion and this band Youth Brigade going on a full U.S. tour. But it's very clear early on that Mike Ness from Social Distortion is a complete fucking mess, like heroin addict, junkie, just a total mess. And, oh. uh, you know, as we we talked about earlier, this is a tight circle. All these guys knew each other and all these guys hung out with each other. I didn't realize that uh, they called his apartment the black hole, <laughs> but that's funny. Um, but I definitely, I, I do think bigger than the black hole, you know, it's it's about trying to get out of the suburbs oh yeah absolutely and uh and i i think it's yeah it's funny that T- steve soto toots his own horn and says his own song is one of the greatest of all time but uh it's it's a pretty damn good song i, I well well didn't uh, rick uh, agnew write the song he did the music at least i mean i right. feel like he wrote all the music but lyrically i i think uh Tony Brandenburg, Reflex, Adolescent, whatever his name is. I think he yeah. wrote most of the lyrics, except uh, for their biggest song. I know he did not write the lyrics for their biggest song, which mm-hmm. I know we're going to get to, so I won't ruin that. <laughs> okay. Well, just, just looking here on Discogs, uh, I don't know how correct this is or how uh, complete this may be, but for Kids of the Black Hole, it just says written by Rick. Oh, then yeah, that is all so, Rick. I, I don't know if that means words too, because there's nothing here that that you know uh, differentiates between music and words. I mean, in my so. opinion, he's like the the genius behind the band, and that that makes sense to me. Yeah, I, yeah. I know that Brandenburg wrote some lyrics, um, but I didn't realize that Rick Agnew wrote the lyrics to that song. But you know, well, like I said, I don't know how surprised. accurate that is. I mean, it could it could be very well that that. Uh, Brandenburg or or Soto wrote the words to the to the to that song. 
Um, oh, look, I, I don't doubt it. That that totally sounds right to me. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, actual like sticker on the record. And a lot of these songs are Rick, uh, just Rick, which, oh, okay. you know, yeah, that makes sense to me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, I um, mean, so, you know, I mean, great song though. Like he, I, it's really one of their, their best. And it's one of the most unique, I think that they do. It's definitely different. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak to their catalog cause I really don't know it, but uh, as far as this album is concerned, it's definitely the standout. Unfortunately, after this record, they kind of jumped in that territory where they just started covering themselves, basically. So they're just like trying yeah. to copy songs they've already written. And I mean, I, I, the adolescents are still great, but nothing nothing they've done has been nearly as good as this, which is hard because I think this is like a, a near perfect record, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, you know, it's it's my first experience listening to it, really. Um and I, yeah, I mean, as far as uh, punk records go, I mean, it's, this is definitely up there. Yeah, it's a good one. And, you know, I picked this, like looking through your previous interviews, like nobody had really touched on anything that was even close to this, I think. I mean, I, no I, punk. I think I saw somebody did like Black Flag or something. Oh yeah, that's right. Damaged. And that, yep. that's like close, but it's still, I, I think this is, this is different. So, this is this is certainly the first like kind of pop punk record I'm covering, and I think that that it's fair to call this kind of a pop punk record. I mean, like it's it's OG, it's it's well, it's like it was the predecessor <laughs> to pop punk, uh, for sure, one hundred percent. Like you know, they... the, like the bands that can't that keep that were inspired by adolescence. You know, they're I mean they're a dime a dozen. You can pretty much pick out any any modern punk band today, and then you know some of it most of them came from this oh yeah you can you can 100 percent hear it in there there's no doubt about it right but yeah but you're right i mean it's not it, this isn't pop punk it's maybe power punk I, I like i don't it's 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 such a it's it's so um original to the whole uh american west coast punk movement that it's kind of hard to try to call it anything more than punk you know i mean because it's like power pop is kind of not fair to call it that totally uh, it's not hardcore punk really i mean maybe if you saw it live you'd say different because it was just so intense and insane but um musically speaking uh from what we know now and like kind of the evolution that we've seen music take I, like i don't i don't know i don't know really yeah no call it. it's definitely hard to say because nobody was like as melodic as they are i mean they, they play like lots of octave chords and there's harmonizing even um which black flag certainly was not doing <laughs> or or any of those bands at the time yeah it, it's a tough one what have you how you'd pin it down for me i just i don't know i hesitate to call them pop punk but mm. i like power punk okay we'll, we'll stick with that then <laughs> All right, let's just do a, a couple more and okay. we'll, we'll try to get out of here. Um, let's see, from the we're on the B side of the record and there's a lot of good songs on this side, I think. Well, I have to say the first, the first song on the B side, No Way. Yep. That's like my favorite adolescent song for sure. Okay, all right, well, let's uh, start there.
it's lyrically it's you know your stereotypical kind of punk lyrics you know me against the world can't get a date (laughs) go jack off at home um but this is another one that like musically it's got such that rick agnew sound to me like there's just ripping guitar there's a heavy intro like i just i love this song it's one of my favorite songs um okay and and yeah i had to i had to get it in there because i love that song so much sure now the times that you've seen them play have they played the song oh i mean when they play they pretty much play this record from start to finish and oh okay sprinkle in a, a new song here and there and then they've got some other like singles that people like to hear from from back then but they they play pretty much all these songs from the blue album all right because because i have to ask uh this song um i have to assume that this title that this is titled no way as in a feeling um as in feeling like the speaker has no direction not as in like oh man no way that's so cool (laughs) (laughs) yes i think it's more no direction not like no way yeah no uh southern yeah. california you know you could interpret it that way like no way dude but right. yeah, yeah no i it's definitely like i was saying your classic kind of meat and potatoes punk lyrics here yeah no direction no future no hope blah blah right. blah right but so now i feel like this song is another victim of circumstance because uh w- like uh where they end the song stating i cannot live in a world this gay Yes. Hasn't aged very well. Um, no. Yeah, I mean, certainly not a PC line, but I never, I don't know. I They definitely still sing it. I've, I've seen them still play it. Um, yeah. But I think, I don't know, I think in that way, it's, they're not saying, I don't know, I can't defend this lyric. I'm not going to, but like. No, it's, it's one of those tricks. Like you can't, like, look, when I was a kid, we used to say that all the time. You know, yeah. and it wasn't about it wasn't like uh, like a homophobic thing necessarily. It was just kind of like like you would say, you know, something stupid. You would just say that it was gay. It wasn't it didn't it had no connotation to homosexuality at all. It was just yeah. like this sucks. This is gay, you know. Yeah. So I understand the song. I just feel like circumstantially, you know, <clears throat> in today's time, I didn't even know if they would be able to get away with it. It's like one of those just one of those songs. I don't even know if they can. I mean, uh maybe he uh when he's saying he's like i cannot live in the world and then he puts the microphone away when he's saying it like i don't know um or if they change the word i mean like it's it's as simple as that it's just like it's possible that they they might i don't know they might they're they're definitely a very progressive band they one of their more recent albums is very like anti-trump i think oh yeah covers trump depicted in a very negative light but um, yeah, this is that is a line that has not aged well. That's for sure. Yeah, and it's just, but I get it. You know, like whatever. First of all, for the time, it was fine to say something like that. Um, and like I said, I, I understand that they're that that's not it's not homophobic at all. At least the way that they were using it at the time, it wasn't. Yeah, I don't think so. And especially Rick Agnew, the songwriter. Uh, if you saw how he looked in the years after, I. I don't think he was minding living in a gay world. Let's just put it that way. He looked right. like he was very uh, fluid sexually. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, let's skip on to another song. Uh, now, look, I know Amoeba is the big one, right? 
yeah, it definitely is. Not even close to being my favorite song. Um, I mean, it's got the most exposure. It's the silliest. Uh, but yeah, we can skip Amoeba. I think I think people have heard enough about Amoeba. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Rip it up is cool um, because I think like it, it kind of has to do with the whole violence in 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 the punk scene at the time. Um, yeah, like Clockwork Orange. It's one of the lines I think. Right. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, and you know the, the standing up like standing up against punks fighting against punks it's just like you know yeah there, there has to be some camaraderie there's got to be some some community there you can't just start beating the hell out of each other oh, just totally. because you're punk you know yeah no i i think again like the scene that they came from was just the most violent in cal in southern california like i don't know what was in the water in orange county but people just were out for blood at these shows like you have to wonder how much did they even want to be there for the music? Like, did they just want to be there to like beat the shit out of someone or, or themselves? Um, right. Hard to say. <laughs> it kind of, it kind of got to that point, I guess, like from the documentary that I saw specifically about Cuckoo's Nest. I mean, like, that's just what it came down to. It was just like, like a war zone. It, yeah. And people been, you know, the bands were saying, it was just like, it was ridiculous. Like, you know, like it just didn't make sense where it, cause it just seemed like people were coming out just to get into <laughs> a fucking tussle just to like right. get into the pit and start slam dancing. That's actually where slam dancing originated. Really? So, I didn't know that. But that yeah, makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I think it was the singer for TSOL, I think. He, he's kind of credited as the originator of slam dancing, but uh, he doesn't take credit for it because he's just like, he, he just thinks the kids were seeing him on stage and the kind of the movements that he made and then kind of were like mimicking it in the pit. Right. And then it just got out of control where it was just like they went from pogoing to just fucking just knocking each other out. <laughs> the uh, actually the other guitar player in the adolescence, Frank Agnew, he went on to join TSOL. Another mm -hmm. instance of this just being like totally incestuous and everybody shares members. Right. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's kind of a weird, weird scene, man. So um, let's see. Well, uh, I guess we can just skip to the last song, Creatures. I hate them all. Creatures. I mean, I hate them all. What's not to hate? Yeah, <laughs> these are angry guys. Another. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at it now. It's it's an, a Rick song, another one. I mean, mm. this is another like I, meat and potatoes punk song, just like lyrically, um, you know, authority figures. I'm sure other bad people in his life that he that he hates. Um, right. Another like, God, they just the adolescents had hooks. They really had good hooks and lots oh, of yeah. melody and good choruses. Like I hate them all creatures. That's a it's, I don't know. It's it gets and stuck semi. in your head. Yeah, I mean, especially like being there to do it to kind of like sing along with them. It's like that that kind of call call and response thing, you know. Totally, totally. Yeah. And yeah, creatures is another one that uh, I they they play this one all the time. Like the, I'm really I'm looking at these songs, and every time I've seen them, they've which has been like many many times at this point, they play just about every single one of these songs. Like, yeah. Not, 
maybe not in order, but you will hear all these songs. And uh, Creatures is another one that I, I love. I, I just, I, I guess I'm a, I'm a big Rick Agnew fan. His songs, especially the ones that he did the whole song, like I, they're just killer songs. I love them. And Creatures is no different. Right. You know, I agree with you, man. I mean, like this has been a really great experience uh, getting into this record. Because, uh, awesome. like I said, I, I didn't know it, and and you know, I mean, I've heard of the band. I've, I'm not a, a massive punk fan, but I, I definitely have respect for it, and I think that this is definitely a great one, and uh, definitely one that would, that's worth getting into. Oh, I I couldn't agree more. I I think it's a really good album and a good time capsule of what you know life was like then for a young young suburbanite punk in in the '80s and. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I've, I've been listening to this album for a long time, and I still listen to it. It feels, it still feels fresh to me. Mm. I, I skip over Amoeba often, because uh, I think I'm, like, a little sick of that song. Sure, yeah, Overkill, right? <laughs> but it's a great record, really great record, and one that, like, really shaped the way that I think about playing and writing music. Because um, a lot of, like, Back to Moral Panic with makes us kind of i don't know hard to pin down is you know i like the rock and roll stuff that's in this record i I like the heavy stuff that's in this record and i like the melody that's in this record and a lot of you know just straight ahead punk stuff i feel like does not have that right yeah no i i agree with you i mean uh, i i I loved what I've heard so far from from your band. I mean, uh, I think the the Thank latest you. record uh, validation is great. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so what is what is the plan with the band now? I mean, what's what's happening? Well, the record finally just came out, um, and you know we're gonna we're gonna be doing some touring, hopefully in the spring and summer. And our big goal right now is to go play in Europe, do whatever we can in Europe. We all really want to get to Europe. Um, and yeah, things are things are less up in the air than they were a year ago. And hopefully we can like actually start narrowing this stuff down, making actual plans. But that is uh that's our goal. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So um well that that sounds great, man. I I, I look forward to uh to kind of catching up with you at some point. Uh I'd love to have you come visit here in Rhode Island sometime. I I, I would a, love to. Yeah, if you ever want to play. I mean, I think I have some some great people to, to line you up with actually please do yeah that would be awesome um and i'm so sorry i really thought you said ryland and i was like <laughs> is that someplace in texas uh, no i'm i don't like it <laughs> sorry i was yeah. i was slurring i haven't even had a drink yet today i don't know why <laughs> so it's been great speaking to you man i mean i really appreciate you taking the time and doing this all right well thank you very much for having me i really appreciate it and um Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Sounds great, man. Take care. Final Vision is a second cell production. Theme song written and performed by Jeff Robinson, 1-2-3-Rush.